This is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Next Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering four conversations from Episode 6, Louise Campbell's interview with Dr. Tony Rahman, who serves as the Director of Gastroenterology and Hepatology at the Prince Charles Hospital in Brisbane, Australia, and an adjunct professor at James Cook University. Plus, from the vault, Conversation 23.5 from Season 3, in which German patient advocate Achim Kautz and former GLI Vice President of Policy and Public Affairs Andrew Scott join Louise, Jorn Schottenberg, and me to discuss what Achim and Andrew consider the two key areas for focusing patient organizing and advocacy. This opening conversation starts by following the path that took Tony from his training in London and his Doctor of Philosophy and Medicine degree from Imperial College to his work in Australia today. Tony asserts that he has been fortunate to be part of a generation that has seen sweeping progress in the treatment of hepatitis C and goes on to discuss how he is applying experiences from that event to the onslaught of liver disease that Australia is facing today. An important theme of the extended episode emerges. Australia faces considerable and unique challenges associated with providing for large, rural-based populations. As the subsequent conversations will reveal, this means approaches to serve 7 million people, or around 28% of Australians, who have, at best, remote access to physicians. In this conversation, he previews telehealth solutions and a traffic light system oriented towards serving the subpopulation. He notes with these remote pleasures in place, patients physically presenting for consultation are distilled to those with progressive fatty liver diseases who need physician attention immediately. Finally, he underscores an interesting and related trend, that the alcohol related cohort is shrinking, while the last 10 years have shown an alarming surge in Naffold and Nash. As you can see in this conversation, Australia combines some of the challenges that we all face, rapidly rising populations, bad food choices, particularly in certain minority communities, with some unique to its own, a very remote rural population and fairly low levels of expenditure. It is interesting to listen to Tony and Louise kick these issues around, to think about what they mean in the context of the countries that we live in, and Australia as well. So, what I suggest you do is just sit back, Listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the dialogue in our LinkedIn discussion group. Louise Campbell. Today I've got with me Dr. Tony Rahman, who's Director of Gastroenterology and Hepatology at the Prince Charles Hospital in Brisbane. And prior to this, in Brisbane, you were a consultant gastroenterologist, hepatologist and physician at St. George's in London. My understanding is your special interests nowadays are endoscopy, colonoscopy, all things liver disease, NAFLD, NASH, viral hepatitis, hep C. And you were awarded the Doctor of Philosophy of Medicine at Imperial College back in um, 2003, one of my old stomping grounds, Imperial. And Following three years of that, researching mechanisms, novel therapies and acute liver failure at the Royal Postgraduate Medical School at the Royal Free Hospitals in London. But I know you from King's and some time we spent together at King's College Liver Unit yep. there. And you've got about 119 publications the last time I looked under your belt and a number of citations. So take a few minutes to introduce you more than that and tell us exactly how you got into this space and what you're doing currently. Tony Rahman. Well, it sort of started in a like most medical journeys, lots of luck and accidents and left turns and right turns to end up where I am. But originally, my aim was to be an ICU physician. And so I went up that pathway and ended up on the liver unit, actually, to work with one of the ICU physicians there. And then it just so happens that the specialization programs came in and I got calmalized into gastroenterology, which actually it wasn't really what I wanted to do. I thought, well, okay, that's fine because there was no ICU training pathway. And then eventually did that in London, went off and did a PhD, came 
came back into gastroenterology, did a couple of years as an ICU senior fellow, and then got a job at St George's, where I was a sort of ICU physician and gastroenterologist, which is quite good because I end up generally dropping adult general medicine. And so in terms of the next 10 years, it was really spent looking at predominantly the sort of sicker end of liver disease, predominantly on ICU, but also the way the rosters worked. I actually did a lot of clinic and a lot of endoscopists because when I wasn't ICU, I'd be just doing gastroenterology, not having to look after too many patients in general medicine. And in that time, did a sort of broad area in terms of looking at research projects and what was going on. And I suppose that's the beginning of that NAFLD period, really. I mean, or fatty liver disease, because that's when the transition started to happen. So this is going back to about 2000, 2004, when you started to notice that liver disease clinics, which were predominantly alcohol, I mean 70-80% alcohol-based clinics, were changing. And then at that point, I'd probably estimate things to have been, you know, about 60-40 alcohol versus fatty liver disease. Then as time went on, I actually then decided to do a year abroad, and that was to go to Australia and got a job at the Prince Charles, which is in Brisbane, which is a small hospital, but it's the regional or state lung heart transplant hospital. So there's quite a lot of really very peculiar, unwell, weird liver disease going on there. And we've basically spent the last 10 years now, I've been here 10 years, setting up their liver disease services. So prior to me arriving, they didn't really have very much in terms of a dedicated service, whereas now we have, you know, an adult congenital heart disease liver clinic. We have a cardiac disease liver clinic. We have combinations of the standard sort of services that any hepatology service would offer. So the fatty liver disease, viral hepatitis, and so on. But in a sense, I think I've been very fortunate, like many people have roughly my age because we've seen so many changes that have taken place in the last 20 years and I suspect everyone can say that of their period of 20 years but you know the revolution that's gone from struggling to get people to have hep C treatment curing hep C even with hep B the transition that it's made in terms of saving people's lives reducing cirrhosis reducing HCC with hep B drugs and obviously this now this new onslaught of new liver disease which is gradually replacing everything else so I mean in the last 10 years in Australia things have been slightly different from the point of view that we've had to really gear the service towards the patients and there has been a little bit of resistance like in all established systems if you want to change something there is a bit of resistance that you have to come up against so we've done a variety of things to try and facilitate treatment for hep c for example where we treat people now without seeing them and so the gps just send us some information we mentor the gps have like a 24 7 service for information and then they can treat the patients and if there's any problems they contact us so that's been great because uh, i mean we started this in about 2016 and so we've done this for queensland uh, some patients from new south wales and then we saw about four years ago starting the local prison so that's been great and then we extended that we thought well actually this is quite a good approach and it's been well accepted by the patients because they don't have to travel in queensland the traveling is a big big problem because some people will be traveling 10 hours to come to you to see you in clinic for half an hour and then that afternoon traveling back again probably Western Australia is the same. So then we thought, well, how can we change our approach to NAFLD? And we looked at the provision of um, services in local treatment centres, for example. And then we sort of explored that for a bit.
bit, but that was staff heavy. And eventually we basically employed the some of the models they're using in London, like the Sheffield and the North London model with uh, Rosenberg and Tau. And so we've got this traffic light system that we've set up. That little project is running for Naffold, which is then facilitating people being treated and discharged. So we're not having to see everyone. Because as I mentioned, I think the ratios in clinic have completely changed. So I would say that in our clinics, we probably get about 60% fatty liver disease and 40% everything else. Because obviously the hep C's and hep B's have generally gone. We tend to do that on a telehealth basis now. And so the patients coming, the predominant patients are all the fatty liver disease that need to be assessed. And some of the serious ones that obviously require further follow-up. And the alcohol cohort, I think, is shrinking. So we've spent the last 10 years really trying to refine what we have to fit the population burden that we have, which is huge. But the specific challenges we have are really around the patient's ability to attend their financial situations, which might limit them and, and that sort of thing. And then we're sort of now looking at other areas of interest, you know, that sort of green endoscopy space where we can, how we can be a bit more environmentally friendly. So we set up a, a telehealth platform, for example, to try and encourage people to be a bit more well-informed before they came to clinic. Uh, we've set up a NAFLD-based dietetic program that runs over 12 weeks. Again, that's all on telehealth, so patients don't have to come to the hospital. And actually, we did all of this pre-COVID. So when COVID came along, we actually had a very interesting experience because a lot of our stuff was already telehealth-based anyway. So none of our stuff stopped. Whereas I know in other hospitals, all of the non-essential stuff pretty much stopped. We continued because all of it was non-patient facing and wasn't putting anyone at risk. And I've sort of waffled on there for about a few minutes about stuff that's general. But I think what it does, it gives you a little flavour of the fact that having been established in London for 10 years, then to reinvent yourself in another place requires you to look at the problems that this other place has and try and find solutions that are specific. And I suppose the broader message is that really it's constantly trying to refine what you do to improve clinical pathways. And I, I suppose that's probably what I've done in the last 20 years, really spend my time trying to refine clinical pathways and improve patient outcomes. And now back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please put them in the review section of the page from which you downloaded this conversation or send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next week with a discussion of the recently pressed AASLD guidelines and how they relate to the important need to bring frontline providers who treat the patients with diabetes and obesity into this discussion. Until then, stay safe, surf on. We'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now.